This episode is brought to you by the Young Farmer Business Program, an initiative of the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries. To help you get the skills you need for the office, not the paddock, visit youngfarmer.nsw.gov.au. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 15 of the Future Farmers Network Mentor of the Month podcast. The Mentor of the Month podcast is an opportunity for us to speak candidly to individuals who are passionate about agriculture for the purposes of not only learning about their career to date, but importantly gaining some valuable insights from those of whom, even at a young age, are mentors and leaders within the agricultural industry. My name is Caitlin McConnell, and today my guest is a woman who is just as comfortable navigating the intricacies of complex business management decisions as she is in the cattle yards. A fifth generation grazier, the general manager of Signature Beef, a 2020 Nuffield Scholar, and a woman after my own heart, Tess Cam. Welcome to the podcast, Tess. Hi, Caitlin. Great to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. Now, you hail from central Queensland. Can you tell me a bit about your childhood and what it was like growing up in the bush? Absolutely. I had the most wonderful childhood. Um, I grew up across North Queensland cattle properties and then a feedlot on the Darling Downs and it just felt like there was a never-ending playground. We had horses right there that I could grab and go on at the feedlot. We played in cottonseed piles. We had a, a list of animals we had to look after and they were our friends and we just had to... I learnt so many beautiful problem-solving skills in terms of you're a little kid trying to figure out how to lift up a 15 kilo feed bag. So you just had to figure out how to get it done. And it's a, a childhood that I hope to pass on to the next generation one day. Mm-hmm. What's one of your favorite memories from childhood, do you reckon? Uh, favorite memories would be trying to figure out how to drive a vehicle that was left down the paddock, that it was your job to bring home. You had no idea how it operated but you just it was in low range so you were safe but you just had to figure it out for yourself (laughs) and how old were you at this point (laughs) six Um, so growing up on the land, um, did you know what you wanted to be or have any idea when you were growing up? Was sort of beef always in your future? Absolutely. I, it was such, um, the lifestyle spoke to me so truly. Um, I knew I wanted to be spending my days on horses. I wanted to be spending my time with cattle and I knew how important it was to be looking after our land. And so as I started exploring all the different career opportunities that were available within the industry, I was always drawn back to that true north and how to add more value to that. Mm-hmm. So in terms of, um, I guess, navigating that path then from having that goal as a child um, and then subsequently wanting to make those types of career decisions, what steps did you take after school? Yeah, absolutely. Well, even um, in school, as I was going through high school, I we were doing a lot of artificial breeding, so AI programs, embryo transfer, even looking into IVF with our seed stock cattle and seeing how cutting edge that technology was and the, the opportunities that were available there. I with my 14 year old mind, I, I pinpointed that, right, that's how I want to add value to industry. That's, there was only a handful of people practicing that technology in Australia. And I went, right, that's what I want to do. That's what I spent my high school work experience doing. 
and read more books on artificial breeding than uh, a 14 year old should. (laughs) (laughs) And anyways, came through to um, attend a future experiences um, sort of workshop that University of Queensland did and learnt all about their vet course and went, oh my gosh, I don't, five years of vet and then five years of small animal husbandry and then then maybe getting to look at what um, what I was really wanting to do in terms of embryo transfer technology. Um, I didn't have the patience for that career path. <laughs> so while I was at that camp, I started looking around at what other options were available and the ag science was, was a natural fit. Mm-hmm. Um, after school, I took a, a gap year and worked around at a few different operations, spent uh, quite a bit of time on my family property in central Queensland and attended like a grazing for profit school and took a heavy involvement in our, our grass budgeting and grazing planning uh, through a very challenging year in 2009 and then spent some time on feedlots and doing some AI programs for other people. Um, I will rewind when I was 14 and looking into all this artificial breeding, my parents were incredibly supportive and organized an AI school to be hosted at home because we couldn't find a spot in any other ones. So we all learnt to AI as a tenor age. <laughs> I was gonna say, as a 14 year old, it's like, hey guys, I wanna learn more about AI. Correct. And they just rolled with it. They- <laughs> They made a school for you, basically. Yeah. They, they, they organised the opportunity for you, which is just incredible, which, you know, shows the support base that you obviously have. Absolutely. We've um, we've always been encouraged to, to step outside our comfort zones and, and to take every learning opportunity available to us. And um, it's certainly something that's um, paid dividends further on in my career. Mm. Yeah. So how did that, um, so obviously you were undertaking sort of work experience and working at home with your family and, and learning tools of the trade that way. Um, was there any study that you did out of school to, to help you along that way? Um, so out of school, the, the formal sort of courses that I did were the, the RCS Grazing for Profit School and I'd been mm-hmm. exposed to a lot of their um, a lot of their content through my parents going through it um, like what, when I was a child. And then... I got 12 months into my ag science degree and the first year is is very um it's very sort of broad science based so there was chem classes there was yeah classes that I struggled to draw the relevance with so I I made the decision to change degrees mm-hmm. um I'm not As many sure of us do. yes <laughs> Changed degrees and changed across to a Bachelor of Business Management, mm-hmm. uh, majoring in HR, which seems like the most um, irrelevant, I guess, or not directly relevant to to where my focus was. But I was just looking for more of a broader approach, and I identified as HR as something that our industry could certainly use as much support in as possible and also something that there was value in learning that out of a textbook when it came to advertising international business marketing etc I wasn't sure what could be pulled out of a textbook with those whereas HR went right there's some employment law employment relations we can um no absolutely I mean it it seems to be um the way of a lot of our contemporaries um not only in the beef industry but agriculture generally is that it's one thing to have uh sort of the background knowledge that you grow up with or are exposed to on farm or in industry but it's those soft uh and very intricate um management skills that really uh can make or break 
um, any any kind of business. So um, now, not only though, and you know, do a little stalking um, <laughs> about uh, dear Tess, but not only were, did did you undertake you know your degree at, at uni, um, but at the tender age of twenty two. Um, you were also the Queensland State Champion in the Cattle Council of Australia Rising Champions Beef Initiative. And you were the recipient of the Australian Brahmin Breeders Association Ed- Edgar Hudgens Scholarship, which took you to the US for a self-directed tour across ranches, feedlots and abattoirs. So did you throw your hat in the ring for well, why did you throw your hat in the ring for these opportunities? Um, and were they part of your overarching career plan, um, so to speak? Uh, yeah, so the, the Hudgens Scholarship um, came first as I turned 21. Uh, so we had seed stock Brahmins growing up and it was an industry my dad was very passionate about. And so I'd always watched um, the, the scholarship recipients travel off and, and read their reports when they came back and and start to follow them on social media when Facebook, um, yeah, when I was sort of 17, 18 and get a Facebook account. And I was always something I was always interested in. And I'd participate in quite a few of the, like the junior beef shows that the Brahmin breeders hosted. And so when I turned 21, there's only, you only have about five years that you can apply for the Hudgens Scholarship. I think that might've opened up a little now, but at the time I went, right, every year has to count. Let's just throw a hat in the ring as a 21 year old and let's get some feedback here. Let's figure out how I can, how I can have, a, have a shot one day. And so I hit up some previous, contest, uh, some previous winners and, and tried to prep myself as best as possible for the interview and trying to keep not only a Brahmin breeders hat on, but also a broader beef industry hat on. So it was researching into all different elements that I thought could be relevant. And on the day, um, I was really fortunate that a lot of those questions came up. <laughs> and so I, through the interview, hardly remembered it being an interview. It was just a, it was just a great conversation with three panellists. And then when, um, as one of the, young, oh, the youngest in the room, they announced me as the recipient, I couldn't quite believe it. But it led to... Um, it led to an incredible three months in the States. And the biggest lesson I learned going into that process, into the process of organizing the travel and throughout my time over there was the scholarship actually gives you nothing more than the confidence from the title. It's, it's not like it magically organizes the trip for you or magically sets out your day. It, it gives you the confidence to approach people as, as more than yourself. It's not just a conversation of, hi, I'm this random from Australia wanting to come <laughs> over and see your ranch. You can approach them with, hi, I'm the 2012 Edgar Hutchins Scholarship recipient and as part of my study. Um, so putting on that persona really helped me to fake it till I made it with confidence and <laughs> approaching people. <laughs> Um, and then when I returned from that, um, seeing when I was in the States, I saw quite a few uh, ranches that had some of their proprietors actively involved in the National Cattlemen's uh, Beef Association in America and saw how seriously they took advocacy and, and how impactful that was. 
So upon returning to Australia, there was a call out for applications for the rising champions for Cattle Council. And I thought, once again, let's get some, you know, tough feedback and let's throw a hat in the ring for for this application and go through the process and go through the discomfort. And was fortunate to be the, the Queensland champ for that. And it gave incredible exposure into how understanding how Australia's uh, grass-fed producer levy payments are managed and what policies and what advocacy that group is responsible for. And also just as equally important, what they're not directly responsible for and where to go with the, the questions and issues that aren't within their scope. Mm. Yeah. Just think, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of what I was doing when I was 21, 22. Um, and, you know, you've, you've already achieved and experienced uh, opportunities uh, to set you on a career path that some might not even have the opportunity to do in their lifetime, which is just exceptional. Um, what would you say would be um, probably one of the key take-homes that either from your experience in um, the uh, Rising Champions or your scholarship that was sort of a key learning from that period that you still utilise today or put in, put in place today? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, the key one would be stepping out of your comfort zone and seeking that growth. Mm-hmm. It's, it's uncomfortable and, and yucky at the time, but then when you look back, you realise how far you, you came in that time and also being very cognizant as to why you're applying for something. What's, what's your purpose? What are you looking to give that program? Um, so when it came to the Hudgens Scholarship, um, I, I dearly hope it's taken down now, but I wrote a blog at the time. <laughs> we will have to find that blog. <laughs> the internet never forgets. Correct. <laughs> uh, spoken like a lawyer. <laughs> Um, so I essentially journaled all my experiences over there, both for myself to, to relive as I knew the days could blend into each other, like a 120 days in the States. Um, not each one carries the same value, but I was conscious to try and make them all be worth it as much as possible. Um, so that's how I actively sought to, to give back to the Brum Breeders Association was to provide them content that they could, I guess, showcase as much as possible from their investment in me. Mm. And same when it came to the mm. Rising Champs program with Cattle Council, um, I then served in one of their, uh, one of their, or two of their subcommittees um, in terms of like industry systems and food safety or, or RD&E and looking for ways that you can go, okay, it's not just about this particular award or title, it's about what can I, what do I have to give to this organisation? How can I help by participating to raise awareness and, and to help them continue to recruit the best possible candidates? Mm. Um, because looking at some programs, I've spoken to friends recently who have been recruiting for programs and the, sometimes it can be a struggle to get to get quality candidates. So it's very much of a case of of just looking to support and go. If it's not me, then then who kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully there's a very strong field of hundreds of candidates, <laughs> and you don't stand a shot. But it's um, it's just about taking the most of those opportunities so that they're available going forward. Mm, absolutely, yeah. and that's. Um, that's one of the things I really admire about you is 
the sense that you're not only undertaking um, either, you know, applying for a scholarship program or an initiative uh, for your own self-development, which is incredibly important. You know, we should always be continuing to evolve our knowledge and, and our experiences. Um, but more so, it's the clear passion that you have for the industry and the greater good of not only the beef industry, but agriculture generally, um, which is incredibly admirable. Um, and, Appreciate that, Caitlin. And really, yeah, no, it is. It's, it's really exceptional to see. And I think um, it demonstrates that, um, well, I like to think that our, our beef industry um, is in, in very capable hands. Um, but it also leads me to sort of your um, goal setting and, and, and desire for um, knowledge, um, again, which just leaves me in awe, um, but has paid dividends already so early on in your career um, in the sense that you are one of the youngest general managers in the industry. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about your role at Signature Beef? Um, how it came about and, and, and what you do now on a day-to-day -day basis. Absolutely. So Signature Beef was uh, pioneered by Blair and Josie Angus as a um, as one of the leading provincial sort of branded beef programs out of central Queensland. And going through, it was founded while I was in high school, I believe. And watching from afar, I was just always in awe of this company. It just seemed to go from, from strength to strength, from a, such small roots. And I always enjoyed spending all the time I could with, with Blair and Josie. And then just the conversations that they were having and the market discussions they were having. As a cattle producer, you're, you're very much a, like on the land, you, you feel very much like a, a price taker. And so all of a sudden seeing all this um, exposure to what's happening at the coalface of, of marketing the products that we produce really appealed to me because being a price taker in the early 2000s, it was, they were some, I watched, um, yeah, as a child, you watch some very tough times and it's frustrating in a, in a you know, teenage brain, you go, what can I do to help? How can, how can I learn more? As I was graduating university, um, after changing degrees and running off to the States for three months, um, I decided to, you know, wind it all up and, and graduate eventually. <laughs> um, and I was looking at potential job applications. One was a, a HR role in the city. Uh, one was a, like a graduate role as a production coordinator for a, a brand of beef company down in New South Wales. And I went, oh, this looks, this role looks really appealing. And there was actually, there was two companies and I spoke to Josie asking her which of the two roles she'd go with, which she thought would offer the best experience. And they asked me, they said, um, before you make a decision there, have dinner with us tonight. And <laughs> as it so turns out, they were looking to fill that role themselves. And I had reservations um, initially working for a family um, company or like part of my family. I mm -hmm. was, um, yeah, had the natural concerns about boundaries and, and relationships and everything like that. But the flip side is it was something that was close to my heart. It was the opportunities were, were endless and I could take um, 
there, there was so much opportunity for, for learning and understanding without layers and layers of, of management above me and mm-hmm. restrictions and everything like that, which, um, so I decided to go for it. Um, it was initially as a production role. And so that entailed overseeing production, understanding what cattle were coming in, what market specifications they would meet and which customers um, those cattle would fit. And then equally as important when you're processing cattle is not just making sure the customers who've ordered product get all that they've ordered, is to actually find the most valuable homes for all the other pieces. So something I've always found fascinating about beef production is if we're building tables or iPhones or motor vehicles, we get to order in a set amount of inputs to produce our ordered number of outputs. With protein dissemination, um, we have to break it down in Mother Nature's ratio, whether it's in demand or not. (laughs) So that's something that I found absolutely fascinating. And I'd, um, so it was a couple of months into that role when uh, Blair came to me and said, oh, do you mind just communicating with that customer how their production's going and just seeing what their upcoming requirements are. I was like, oh, perfect. I'm loving this production side. I'm happy to talk to the customers (laughs) about it. And then it kind of graduated into, uh, well, actually, while you're doing the production, do you mind just working out, you know, what the price difference between those two yielding cuts are and then just communicating that with the customer? Anyways, um, because at the time, sales wasn't for me at all. And um, I just, it's something I didn't think I was good at. It's something I didn't feel at peace with. And within six months, I look back now and realize that, yes, I was um, (laughs) already natural, (laughs) not at all, but um, was well and truly led to it and um, (laughs) pushed it. So that then evolved into just taking care of sales and production. And I had a wonderful lady alongside me who looked after all the logistics and and sort of the back end side of things in terms of getting the product where it needed to get to and, and just keeping a lot of the admin systems in place. And then as a a 23-year-old, I believe, um, maybe 23, 24, um, she resigned, which um, then led me on a very rapid learning curve (laughs) of figuring out what systems needed to be in place and and how do I I hire someone to help me? and use your HR skills correct (laughs) that piece of paper gave in handy exactly so dusted the piece of paper off and a little help from Google (laughs) recruited um and then as I filled that role out I sort of we started to grow a little bit so then was able to recruit another person and then as things have naturally progressed um we're now a team of six in the office um it still terrifies me that I'm the eldest (laughs) (laughs) um but it's um been a wonderful learning curve in terms of um how to how to take something like that was the, the those typical small business struggles when you're doing as much as you can how do you how do you find a way to systemize those roles and then create enough value and revenue in the company to to afford that wage and 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 how do you how do you grow and at what points is it is it worth growing at what points do you contract because 
we do have such a, a volatile, or not volatile, but we do have such a um, an ever-moving market um, and we're not dealing with big corporate money. It's, uh, yeah, it's something we're always very conscious of. It's a, it's a small family bank account mm-hmm. that's, that's bankrolling this. So um, there's been an absolute breadth of, um, of learning opportunities and experiences over the last mm. nearly seven years. Yeah. yeah. I think that's – I recently heard, and I think it was on um, – the Humans of Agriculture podcast, and I've forgotten who said it, uh, but it really resonated with me. It was that the best and worst thing about agriculture generally, but I think growing up on a cattle property as well, um, <laughs> growing up on a farm, family farm, um, the best and worst thing is passion um, in the sense that you're so passionate about it and it, it can kind of make or break you. Yes. Um, but then in terms of the emotion that comes with passion, um, and uh, taking a, a goal and aspiration um, is difficult from a family level, but it means so much more when you are kicking those goals as a family. And, it, and it's incredible to see that you guys have, are doing that and have been able to do that. We, um, we're, we're sure having a go. And um, it's, it's interesting that you bring up passion because um, I tend to be a highly emotive person. So something I'm constantly <laughs> working on is taking emotion out of the decision and sort of going, okay, how can we, how can we look at this, um, as my partner says, how to bring logic to the equation? <laughs> strange concept so it's um yeah always trying to kind of look at things from um sort of helicoptering up out of the situation mm. particularly in the toughest of times and mm. the, the hardest of situations or the the messiest of mess ups mm. um how do you regain perspective i guess and and make um the best call you know at the time mm. and i think that's one of the beauties of having people around you like your partner um, yes. who can help you get out of Get that, out of your head and get out of your that, head and, yeah. and, and, and make the decisions that you need to with the, with fresh eyes. Absolutely. So in terms of um, sort of making uh, decisions or difficult decisions and navigating difficult times, um, how has the pandemic affected um, signatures, export and domestic trade? Absolutely. If at all. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it has been some severe, severe impacts. Um, so a lot of, um, so the number one key, I guess, takeaway from the experience, and I'm not sure if it's um, good management or good luck, but the importance of diversity across, um, across markets and across um, even just as basically as the split between export and domestic, um, having that diversity was um has paid dividends for us everything from um, like the rest of the world has been so much more impacted not the rest of the world but a lot of our key export markets have been so uh, they've been so much more heavily impacted by the effects of covid than Mm. australia Um, so it's such a strange concept to be going through and paying all the costs of production to produce an export product and in more cases, they're not having your highest value market just down the road from you in Australia. <laughs> um, so it's a it's a very strange turn of events. And then when you're exporting, you're also exposed to currency risk, which COVID has obviously 
uh, played massive impacts with and then um, we were exporting a significant amount to the China market and it was a a wonderful market for a time. Um, Unfortunately, we don't have that opportunity at the moment, but it's um look it's a it's a key market and a valuable market um, when it comes to looking for the highest value home for so many parts of the beef carcass Mm -hmm. um so we've certainly felt the impact of of losing access to that market it's um it's it's certainly been an eventful time and even just watching people's as everyday people change their their social habits or eating habits the rise and fall of demands for different cuts so when things first hit the restaurant trade was obviously annihilated in australia for a two three month period Mm -hmm. um so all of a sudden your restaurant steak cuts the demand for those almost stopped overnight through through march april and then as a retail um as retail was where people were doing their shopping and they were also when they were buying through retail rather than getting a 180 gram serving of steak at a restaurant they were you know cooking a kilo of meat for three or four of them mm-hmm. um so we saw a really a really sharp rise in in retail demand which lasted many months and then as restaurants and pubs were able to reopen they they reopened with a vengeance so it's mm-hmm. been a very um <laughs> turbulent year in terms of finding balance across the carcass <laughs> Peaks on troughs, that's, uh, that's the way the industry. Yes. Yeah. Um, now, in terms of, um, I mean, obviously dealing with the effects of the pandemic, which no one saw coming, um, but uh, in the wings and certainly now, um, Signature have, have broken ground on an exciting new project. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the new development and, and what's happening there? Absolutely. I um, it, I always get a little giggle when people go, oh, how's the new development? And in our mind, it's been this, you know, this this project we've all been toiling over for the past five years. And it's um, I'd always heard that saying that, you know, that overnight success after mm. 10 years. And I'm yeah, going, that's it. yeah, yep, that's, there's some merit in that. <laughs> So um, five years ago, we set out to build an on-farm abattoir that was really centred around um, that cellar door piece that the wine industry do so well and about bespoke processing and doing like what's, if we had a blue sky approach, what's the optimum way we could process cattle to deliver the optimum beef product? And so many decisions that have been made over time have come down to um, food safety and and working with transportation and everything like that when it was salting beef down, when it was canning, when it was the freezing down works. And then in the, I think it was 60s, 70s, we started being able to cry back beef. And it's always been about come from a a food safety and what's the most cost-effective way to to transport this product. So for... um, probably not the first time in history, but from a a commercial scale, we're going, okay, what can happen to this this animal to make its eating experience the best possible outcome? And so that's been the absolute focus of of every decision we've made with with, um, the design and the processes at this plant. So um, we've just finished structural steel and we're laying down concrete um, on the slab. We've got about a third of a roof. Um, (laughs) So we're all systems go for opening um, mid to later this year. And we're really excited to offer 
I guess, decentralised processing to such a beautiful, prime, grass-fattened um, region of Queensland and to really um, pay homage to, to the heritage of a very unique product grown in that area. Absolutely. And that really, this um, development really um, plays a key role in, in your discussion about diversification and the importance of that in business. Absolutely. It's, um, I mean, there's a lot of advantages to being able to have, uh, to be able to run a business with a scope so narrow in terms of, at current, we utilise we utilize a non-packer exporter um, licence. So we source the livestock and we provide all the branded consumables and then we pay a service processing abattoir to essentially facilitate the process in between and then getting all of our box beef back packaged in our materials from our cattle, which um, certainly allows you to run a very streamlined business. And look, they do a great job. We wouldn't be there if, if they didn't. Um, and they've got excellent shelf life and there's so much that we can learn there. However, most plants in Australia are very old and repurposed from previous, um, previous industries. So we're so excited to um, be starting a greenfields facility that you don't have to make any um, compromises with. You don't have to go, oh, we wish we could do this, but um, you know that's not possible because we don't have the floor space or mm. we have to work around this because this building was once a cannery or a hospital <laughs> or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, it's, we're really excited to be able to take things exactly as we want them um, from from the paddock through to the consumer. Mm. And that, I think, takes me to um, your decision to undertake a Nuffield, well, to be awarded a Nuffield Scholarship. Congratulations. Thank um, you. So for someone, um, I love hearing you talk about, you know, when you're breaking down a beast and we often see incredible photos of your carcasses and all that sort of thing. Um, but your... Your Nuffield scholarship, rightly so, um, the research component is about um, you're looking into exploring alternative markets uh, and opportunities for beef co-products such as hides and bones and other rendered products. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your research and why that was a topic of choice? Absolutely. I'm, um, I'm happy to share what's on my mind. I haven't, um, I haven't found the answers yet, so if anyone does, <laughs> please do let us know. Flick an email. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> She'll reference you in the footnotes. <laughs> so when we process a, um, a beef animal, we start out, we bring 100% of the live animal to processing. However, um, as a non-packer exporter, and this is an issue exclusive to non-packer exporters, which make up a surprisingly large portion of our market, um, we only get to then sell as standard primal beef about 37% of that live animal and about 80, 80, 85 to 90% of the value um, achieved from that animal is tied up in that 37% of primal beef. And that includes trimmings and everything like that. Um, so then we've got this 63% that's essentially hides, bones, offal, and everything else. And it, um, so when it comes to price fluctuations on the primal beef market, because it's only dealing with 37% of the volume, they obviously have a very big impact. It's, it's um, they're higher value products and they can 
it can really, um, it creates a lot of volatility. Whereas if we can be finding more premium, more stable, more direct to consumer, um, and not necessarily consumer in terms of center of plate, but consumer in terms of pharmaceuticals, consumer in terms of um, more Australian-based solutions for, for tanned hides, et cetera, if we can be adding more value to the to the 63% of volume that's left behind, um, I believe we can make beef a lot more stable product when it comes to, to price point that the consumer's paying on the shelf and also that farmers are receiving at farm gate. Mm. So products that have particularly caught my interest are um, the opportunity for high value um, pharmaceutical products, um, particularly given Australia's high cost of production being such a clean green compliant product Mm -hmm. we should be well first in the in the pharmaceutical space um given we've got such a high um biosecurity standard and then the other piece that seems to be making um big waves in the um sort of human nutrition space is collagen and hydrolyzed collagen powders, particularly um, for people who may have sensitivities to to certain food groups. A lot of those coming in are coming from, um, yeah, South American or European sources, which, I mean, as a beef exporter, I understand the importance of a a global trade. (laughs) (laughs) However, um, they're often going into brands who who claim to be very Australian-focused and Australian-based. So I'm, I'm keen to explore what other ways we can look at um, offering Australian solutions. Mm -hmm. And also um, it's quite an intensive chemical heavy process to produce Mm. hydrolyzed collagen. So I'm um, I'm keen to learn um, what other ways we can go about extracting that Mm. that are in a more natural capacity. Mm. So in terms of solving... um you know, the Australian side of the problem or, or create uh, an opportunity for Australian-based um, alternative products. And part of the Nuffield is your intention is obviously to go overseas and to see what other people, what other countries are doing, what other organisations are doing. Um, how has your experience with Nuffield changed uh, in light of closed borders? Um, and how are you able or how are you navigating that research component of being able to learn and without being able to, I guess, physically see what people are doing overseas. Absolutely. It's been quite the evolution um, (laughs) over the past 12 months and um, coming from a complete position of privilege that my issue is how do I travel for my scholarship, whereas Mm -hmm. so many others are how do I maintain an an income and how do I, you know, my business can't survive without exports. So I completely respect that I'm coming from a position (laughs) of privilege here. Um, So we're actually on Tangaluma Island. Um, just off Brisbane for our um, sort of global get together to initiate us all into the program as the COVID um, border closures and sort of um, lockdown began in mm-hmm. March last year. So we just had 12 people flying from London, um, international scholars, and they all went to bed, woke up the next morning and all received the message to promptly hop back on planes and mm-hmm. <laughs> head back. So um, we were, there was about 60 of us from all around the world that were all together um, as this was all unfolding. So that was an interesting experience and also a slightly nervous time going 
there's a high chance that someone's probably bored. Bored to Australia. <laughs> Correct. We could Thanks, be the guys. outbreak. <laughs> we could be the outbreak monkeys. How's that for headline for scholars? <laughs> so it was certainly a memorable time, but in those short um, couple of days that we did get together, um, the the level of energy, conversation, and and I guess um, networking is such a corny word, but just the the connection and conversation with people all on on your wavelength um, from completely different industries, but with congruent issues, um, was such an amazing experience. And I'm so excited for sometime in the near future when we can get back together and experience that again. Mm. Um, in terms of scholarship, uh, the Nuffield is strongly focused on on that international exploration. Mm-hmm. Um, they're big fans of getting us out of our comfort zones. <laughs> <laughs> Something you're very familiar with. So um, <laughs> while unfortunately that's not a possibility, um, we're facilitating everything possible by um, by having Zoom meetings and having sort of virtual tours through farming operations all around the world and um, I am fortunate that with my study topic there is a significant amount that I can get achieved by interviewing people over Zoom. So mm. that will be a focus later this year. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah. It's certainly the way of, of business and, and networking generally in the way of the world now. Correct. Um, adapting to it all. So um, you've mentioned today, I mean, you've got incredible support base in your family and your partner and, and having the networks through, uh, you know, the Cattle Council opportunities and, and now Nuffield. Um who would you consider have been um, sort of key players in helping you get to where you are today? Have you had specific mentors or um, any key supporters over and above? Well, I mean, with your fa- alongside your family and partner. But... Yes. Um, it's been an evolution as each phase so far um, in life. I've kind of, I've, I've been interested in a specific um, area. So, as a teenager who was interested in the artificial breeding world, I mean, I, I was very fortunate to meet a guy who was um, who was at the the forefront of the game with it, and approached him to do my work experience with him. And and at that time, he was a brilliant mentor and someone who I still have a great relationship with, and the ability to call up with any questions, which is so valuable. And then, um, then I started developing an interest in, in meat science. So at that time, I, I reached out to um, someone who, who I knew through family who was at the forefront of their game there and asked if I could come down and spend a couple of weeks with, with um, them on their property and was very fortunate to be accepted for that opportunity and maintained a relationship with them. Um, and so it's just kind of constantly been an evolution and while you might be focusing on a new area, they're still um, still trying to give so much to those relationships that, that gave to you and invested in you. Um, so at the moment, um, looking through the Nuffield network, and there's a few in the leadership team at Nuffield that have um, that have just been had been fortunate to have one-on-one conversations with, um, whether it's you know catching the ferry from Tangaluma back to Brisbane, <laughs> and learning about. Um, some of the business opportunities they're currently undertaking and it's just completely rewritten the blueprint I had in my mind about what is possible in agriculture, what returns are possible, what scaling and what, um, I guess, business growth opportunities and what, um, yeah, how quickly a, a team can grow and how 
yeah, um, these were people that uh, I got to meet and have conversations with as, as people first. And then when I understood what they were doing in their business lives and then to be able to ask them those questions at a, um, with that, you know, keeping in mind that they're not just a, a mentor, they're not just, a, you know, someone leading a global business, they're, they're a person first. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to have those conversations has been so, so valuable. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, very, um, it's a very important point you make that, yeah, they're not just there to help you as a stepping stone in your career. They are, they are people and, and they've navigated their own path. Absolutely. Um, so that being said, I mean, you've made a point of reaching out to people in your career that you want to learn from. Um, have you noticed people starting to reach out to you to, to ask you questions about what, how you've done, what you've done today? A little bit. So in um, my family dynamic, I'm the eldest of six children. (laughs) um, And a lot of my siblings are sort of coming through high school now. And um, it's great getting to, you know, when I pick them up to from school to go home for the weekend, get to meet some of their friends and some of their friends are starting to, to reach out on, particularly on social media, potentially where they're most comfortable. Um, and ask questions and it's, um, my siblings are such a strong motivator for a lot of opportunities I reach out for to be very conscious to go, um, I want to show them their friends and, and the next gen of ag, um, just exactly what opportunities are possible Mm. and that it's not just, you know, it's, it's not for, for smart people. Um, like my OP was horrendous. (laughs) Likewise. (laughs) not for smart people it's not for people who are you know schooled into this like you can yeah have a go bring value to the Mm. table and also come from a from a place of integrity and what's true to you Mm. because that has value even um sometimes you've just got to work a little to to find or build the market for it Mm. yeah um, as I said before Tess um you you leave me in awe um not only you know, your, your self-development, but in everything that you say, you know, you're, you're wanting to pave the way for your siblings and other young Aggies. And um, we certainly, as you said, you know, we certainly wouldn't be here uh, for those that tread the path before us. Absolutely. Um, and it's it's really fantastic that that young producers like yourself are, are doing the same for our next gen, which is really fantastic. Oh, they're very kind words. Thank you, Caitlin. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of, I mean... There's a lot of what you do for the greater benefit of the industry um, and for your networks and your family. What gets you out of bed in the morning? Other than other than <laughs> adding value to, to those aspects. Other than life. my voicemails and email lists <laughs> that I wake up to. <laughs> my to-do list that's making you twitch. Correct. Um, Are there any, you know, do you have any current goals or any... Um, uh, extracurricular in all your spare time uh, <laughs> activities that you do for you yeah absolutely um I was a little girl who never grew out of her horses um so while I haven't had the chance to be able to compete much in camp drafts and and stockman's challenges and the likes um during COVID, I did purchase a little, um, a little two-year-old who um, I've been thoroughly enjoying spending time on on the weekend, hopping on him and going for a ride and doing a bit of training on him. Is that's my church. And what did you call him? Uh, the Victorian border may have closed as we were trying to get him across, so he is now dubbed Corona. <laughs> 
I feel people not be the only horse. Something else that I'm not sure I'm going to say I enjoy, but I certainly see value in doing is um, I've in the past I've completed an ultra marathon, which was a 50 kilometer run through the Blue Mountains, and I've been. I learned so much through that process and just the dedication and program of, you know, it wasn't just, you know, I need to get out and go for a run. It was, uh, you know, I need to complete this training or I'm not going to make it. Mm, self-discipline. The, <laughs> the self-discipline. Yeah, exactly. Of having that big, scary goal. So um, running well, I won't say I necessarily enjoy it. I always feel fantastic after I do it. And the training brings so much value to just how I'm able to handle the rest of my day. Um and I also grew up in a household that Smoko was the, um, you know, the, the next meal after breakfast was <laughs> the most important meal of the day. So um, while I'm unwinding on the weekend, I do love to, to bake and um, enjoy cooking. Yeah. Mm, and you've recently started mastering the art of sourdough. It's, um, which I'm yes. very grateful. <laughs> <laughs> Although I haven't had as many deliveries recently as I would like. <laughs> Look, I'm, you know, if money wasn't an object, I may be a part-time baker for, um, <laughs> for a period. Uh, no, it's, um, I think there's a lot to be said for, um, uh, well, self-care really. I mean, as you say, running, um, running is an opportunity for you to build, um, you know, aspects of your determination and self-discipline. Um, but I imagine it would almost also be quite therapeutic in the sense that it's a time where you actually have to um, look internally and go, I need to run 50 kilometres, which, I mean, I still shake my head at, at you doing that. But, um, uh, you know, it makes you, it puts you in tune with your body. Absolutely. And um, while I feel the word balance is overrated, I, th- I think it's just always important to be looking at yourself um, and internally, I guess, um, just retrospectively reflecting, going, okay, um, how's my mental load? How's mm-hmm. my mental relaxation? How's my physical load? How's my f- physical relaxation? And same for emotion. Um, spirituality, I guess I don't put necessarily a focus on. I see spiritual elements through everything, but just being conscious to go, hey, I pushed really hard in that aspect. Do I need to take some, you know, active relaxation? Mm-hmm. And if you're an extrovert, that might be calling a friend. If you're an introvert, that might be holding up with a book or mm-hmm. holding up in front of a Netflix series. It's um, yeah, it's 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 not saying that's to what you spend eighty percent of your time doing, but just being um really paying homage to you know that twenty minutes a day, the impact that can have because um in our um yeah across all industries um in our late 20s and into our 30s and that burnout is real and and i want to be doing this for a long time Mm. so um certainly something to focus on yeah it's very much you know you're no use to anyone else um unless you're looking after yourself so there's a lot to be said there yeah Yeah. you can't pour from an empty cup (laughs) no not at all so in that respect um what would be the key points of advice that you would give to either anyone starting out in the beef industry now or uh, generally or life generally, I guess? Yeah, great question. <laughs> um, it's, it's a little bit corny, but I do find a lot of value in the statement. Um, no one is you and that's your power. And it's not necessarily about being the best at any particular thing, but it's about finding, um, looking truly at what you enjoy spending your time with and what your unique life experiences are and how you can bring those to the table to add value um, in your personal life, in your workplace, in your community, wherever it may be, um, because 
no one has your unique, um, I guess, matrix or juxtaposition of, of experiences. And um, so you can approach, you might not have the experiences that other people might do. You might not have the paper qualifications, but if you feel there's, there's value you can add to an, a situation, um, to back yourself there, to, mm. to open up. And if you receive the feedback that it's not valuable, that's okay. Bring it to the table somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, also, when it comes to uh, getting started, leaving school, leaving uni or anything like that, sometimes we can be a little stuck in terms of looking around and knowing what we want to do. Me personally, I was, I was so fortunate to always have a strong focus on it wasn't necessarily a linear direction, but I always had a focus on one particular direction. However, a lot of friends, they didn't. And I realised in hindsight that that was such a privilege to have that clarity. It might not have been the right direction or a direction I followed long, but it was just, it was that clarity that I had. So in terms of um, looking for inspiration there, I encourage you to look around uh, if you're on a property or, or if, you know, um, family members have businesses looking around and going how do these people spend their time do i do i like the look of what they're doing from the outside and then find a way to approach them start small start with you know parents friends or aunts and uncles and and make your way from there no connection is is too small or anything like that and um and throw your hat in the ring and have a go at the very least um you you get some excellent feedback people learn your name and (laughs) You, um, yeah, you, you come away from the experience better than you started. Um, Caitlin's read out a, a very, um, a very generous list of, of things that I might've been fortunate to achieve, but there's 10 times that list that I didn't even get a call back about and learn just as much from those as, as the opportunities I've been afforded. Mm, absolutely. No, I think, um, I think it's safe to say looking at your achievements and, and certainly the support that you give to the industry generally, that's. That's very sound advice, Tess. Thank you. Um, It's been an absolute honour and a pleasure to speak uh, with you today. And as I've said to you before, I learn so much from you when we speak, um, particularly over wines, even more so. Um, (laughs) It's a valuable agriculture. Yeah, no, you're a true leader uh, and someone I'm very proud to call a friend. So um, I'm sure that many of our listeners have learned a lot from you today, just as I do. So thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for inviting me on. It's great to chat with everyone. It's been a pleasure. Um, now to the, our FFN podcast listeners, thank you again for your support of our Mentor of the Month podcast. Be sure to follow the Future Farmers Network on Facebook, Instagram or LinkedIn or sign up to our weekly newsletter for more information about our upcoming guests, exciting projects and events. Until next month, thank you for listening and take care. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out The Business of Farming, a series of recordings from the Young Farmer Business Program Conference featuring some of the best minds in business and primary production. Thank you.